Well, good morning. I also want to welcome you uh, here today, those who are here at our 930 service, those attending the Well and the Well Cafe this morning. Uh, If we have not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here, and it's good to be with you uh, this morning. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open that to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be. If you do not have your Bible with you, you can find uh, that passage on page 1872 in the Blue Bibles that we have available for you in all of our worship spaces. I Uh, This week I I read an absolutely awful joke that I'm going to share with you in honor of Pastor Jim, okay? He's not here today, and uh, he always has terrible, terrible jokes like this, so I'm going to share this in in his honor. Uh, The the joke goes like this, did you know that the husband should always be the one to make the coffee in the morning for his wife? I just heard an amen. It's in the Bible. There's like a whole book dedicated to it. It's the book of Hebrews. (laughs) Hebrews. Terrible, isn't it? If you are a serious, committed follower of Jesus, do not share that joke, okay? Except with Pastor Jim. When he gets back, you can share it with him. He'll he'll appreciate it. Uh, We are in the second week of this series uh, asking the question, what's next? A question that we believe, whether it's our individual life or the life that we share together as as a family of faith, a question that opens us up again to a perspective on God's future. An understanding of what the next step for each of us might be in our life and again in our life together. And so I want to lift up to you today. I hope you'll uh, be with us at at 3 p.m. this afternoon. We're going to be sharing with you the plans that our building planning team has put together over the course of this last year. Looking at where we are as a church family, the community that we are called to serve, what we believe our future will be. We'll be sharing that uh, with all of you. I want you to be there. Uh, I want you to have the chance to to hear that, to be informed by that, be able to share feedback as we process together uh, and look forward uh, to our future uh, together. Last week you were blessed uh, to have uh, Reverend Mike Ramsdale here with you, senior pastor here from 1995 uh, to 2015, and part of what I wanted Mike to share with you, which he did, was uh, his own understanding of how this church has responded to that question, the relationship that this church has had with that question. And uh, he started his reflections uh, by sharing this with you. He said, I arrived in 1995 and we bought a fax machine. That was a big deal. And it was a big deal in 1995. Uh, that's a, a reminder to us of how, how much the world has changed over the course of, of several decades. He, he, he grounded everything he shared with you in these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, only God who makes things grow. We water, we plant, but God is the one who makes things grow. And in many different ways, Mike talked about how that was expressed and lived out in this church family over the course of multiple decades of, of his own leadership, a church that has been faithful to water, faithful to plant, and faithful to trust, faithful to trust that God, that God will be the one who brings about the growth. 
Uh, from the perspective of his life today, serving as someone who often consults with churches, helping them to ask this question or even begin to think about the question, what's next? Uh, Mike shared this observation with you that people love talking about what used to be. And let me tell you who likes talking about what used to be. Anyone who's over the age of 18 likes talking about what used to be, right? I don't want to tell you how high I can jump today. I want to tell you how high I used to be able to jump, right? You don't want to look at where you are today. It's, it's fun to look back at, at, at what used to be. If, if you attend our uh, pastor's Bible study on Wednesday, this is the quote I shared, speaking about our individual life that uh, N.T. Wright writes, being a Christian is like learning to ride a bicycle, Unless you go forward, you'll fall off. And I invite you just to think about whether uh, you remember in your own life learning to ride a bike or maybe the, the thing that comes to mind for you is, is your own son or daughter learning to ride a bike. And you may remember that most of us learn to ride a bike before we learn how to stop riding a bike. You know what I'm talking about? You, you, you remember that, that moment where, where the child lights up with the light because they're finally doing it. They're riding. No one's holding on. They're free. Life has now abundant possibilities. There's so much joy followed by that moment of panic. How do I stop this thing? And eventually they stop pedaling and they slow down. And what happens? They, they fall over, hopefully in the nice, comfortable grass and not the middle of the street. But so it is with our life. And so we're asking the question, what's next? We're thinking about moving forward. We're talking about where God is calling us into the future. But today, I, I want to look at what could be an equally destructive mistake that we might make. One would be to simply look back at what used to be, but the equally destructive mistake would be to assume that where we have come from, the past from which we have grown, that that has no value for the future. We could be so enamored with what is ahead, we could be so excited about what is ahead that we would miss the value of understanding our past and who we are and where we have come from. And so today, listening to the wisdom of Hebrews, I, I want us to think about that value, the way that that's articulated here over the course of several chapters in Hebrews that, that we're going to look at several sections. So I want to read to you first, uh, beginning, in, beginning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And what you need to know up front is that everything that has come before in, in this letter is building up to this moment. Uh, up, up from Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 10, 18, the, the writer has been speaking about what has happened in Christ, what is now available to us because of what Christ, uh, who Christ is for us in our life. And, and he comes to this summary statement beginning in verse 19. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So because of what Christ has done, because of who he now is for us, there, there, there is this reminder that we can now with confidence draw near to the Father. Christ, by his sacrifice, has opened up the way for us to, to be in right relationship with God. And so with confidence, with assurance, and with a sense of hopefulness, we can now, we can now commune directly with God. Because of your faith in the one who is faithful, this is the reality in which you can now live. This is the life that is now possible for you because of what Christ has done. You can now, in fact, live a life that is defined by confidence and not uncertainty. You can, in fact, now live a life that is marked by a sense of assurance and not doubt. You can, in fact, live a life, build a life. You can live with a posture of hopefulness in any and all circumstances, not despair. Building on the foundation of faith, you can say goodbye. You can leave behind insecurity and you can leave behind fear. This is what Christ has done for you. And because of your faith and the one who is faithful, because of this new faith in Christ, this is what your life can now be. Now you jump ahead to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and you find this. This is one of those things you probably know is in the Bible but you may not know where it is. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. There's your definition of faith. This is what it means to live by faith. It's having confidence in what you hope for, assurance of what you cannot see. But maybe the definition isn't enough for you. Maybe you need more than that. And if you do, then you can spend uh, the, the rest of this afternoon reading the uh, additional 39 verses in chapter 11. And here's what you'll find there. If you look at the rest of chapter 11, you'll find the hall of fame of faith. Uh, what the writer of Hebrews does as he seeks to express to this people what faith is and how it works in their life is he reminds them of the stories of those who have come before them. The faith that they live, the faith of Abel and Enoch, the faith of Noah and his family, the faith of Abraham and Sarah, the faith of Isaac and Jacob, the faith of Joseph and Moses, of Rahab and Gideon and Samuel and David, the prophets, and so many more. He speaks about their life, the way in which they lived, the faith in which they lived. Looking back to the past, to the lives of those who have come before them, celebrating what they have done, the faith by which they lived. And then, if you turn to chapter 12, again, words you probably have heard before, but you may not have known where they are in the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fourteen families established the Mansfield Methodist Church in 1885. It's not a typo. It wasn't 1985, it was 1885. Uh, Land was actually purchased for a Methodist church here in Mansfield all the way back into the 1870s. There was a lot uh, on uh, Main Street purchased for uh, $100. No building was ever constructed there. That uh, that lot was eventually swapped uh, for a a lot on North First Street. Uh, And in 1890, the first building was built there. Uh, we don't have uh, a picture of that building. I wish that we did. The, uh, the historical record refers to that first building simply as a tabernacle. And I have no idea what that means. I would love to know what that means, what that looked like. What, what, was, what was a tabernacle in 1890? I'm not sure, but that's where, that's where the life of this church began. In 1904, a new church was opened there on that same property there at North Street. The church was completed. Uh, you'll see a picture here. It's the same one you saw in the opening video, a three-story structure. You see there uh, a bell tower there uh, in, that, uh, in, in that structure that was opened in 1904 and stood for nearly four decades there on that First Street property until a tragic event occurred Let me read to you from one of the historical records an account of uh, what happened that led to the destruction of that church. Joe Stone was working in the field on his farm east of Mansfield. It was Friday, September 25th, 1942. On the western horizon where the town lay, black smoke was suddenly boiling up. I just knew it was our church, Mr. Stone would say later. Reverend Wayne Reynolds and his wife were living in the parsonage just south of the church, but had gone to Fort Worth to the dentist. When they returned that evening, Mrs. Reynolds noticed cars parked up and down the streets close to the church and people standing in crowds everywhere. We asked what was going on, she said, and the reply came, the Methodist church burned. That can't be, Mrs. Reynolds said. My husband is the pastor there. And the reply came, well, he's not now. (laughs) High winds that day had swept fire northward from a washeteria down the block. The house adjacent caught flame and then the next houses, but residents climbed on their roofs and kept garden hoses uh, so their homes were saved. Meanwhile, windborne embers reached the church and it caught quickly. It was during the war and the volunteer firemen were at work in the bomber plant in Fort Worth. The residents left in town couldn't find the fire engine, according to Mrs. Reynolds. That evening, there was nothing left but the bricks of the foundation and the bell from the bell tower. During the fire, Mrs. Fran Nifong rushed into the flaming church and single-handedly dragged out the ornate pulpit as well as the large Bible kept there that had been donated so many years ago by Martha Crabb. Mrs. Nifong also attempted to save the piano with the aid of another, but falling roof timbers caused her to abandon the instrument in the doorway. 
Describing the state of the church at the time of the fire, Mrs. Reynolds said this, the church had been in poor repair with holes in the roof which allowed pigeons to participate in the worship services. (laughs) That's good. No one would dare patch the extremely steep roof and estimates for other repairs were beyond the church's ability to pay, but it was too full of memories to tear down. The congregation was in a spiritual slump. People were worried and depressed about the war. Members had drifted away, but the fire seemed to shock them to new life. The loss seemed to awaken people to how much the church had really meant to them, and they rallied. Offered the long-closed Presbyterian church on Friday, the whole community cleaned and worked on that building Saturday so that the Methodists could hold services there on Sunday. Uh, According to Pastor Wayne Reynolds, we continued our full program, and most important were the Wednesday night prayer meetings. They were the fuel that kept the church going. After that first Wednesday night prayer meeting after the fire, we went out right then and there and had a groundbreaking for a new church. For 10 months, the church met in that uh, old Presbyterian building, and over the course of that 10 months, the members of this church rebuilt their their church. As you can imagine, in 1942, in the beginnings of World War II, resources were quite scarce. Uh, Pastor Reynolds, uh, who, who was the uncle of a member of our church today, Lewin Berry, he was sitting right there at our last service. Uh, Pastor Reynolds took a year off from seminary so that he could lead the effort, uh, often making trips uh, to his father's East Texas lumber mill to bring back supplies for the reconstruction of the church. This church lost everything except for this pulpit and this Bible. Everything. In the middle of a period of great uncertainty, less than a year removed from an attack on Pearl Harbor, this church lost absolutely everything. And the response of this church was to unite together in prayer, to place their faith in the one that they believed would be faithful. And among the charred remains of what once was, they together broke ground on what they believed God could do to build a brand new future. I want you to notice from those first three verses of, of chapter 12, there's a, there's a subtle teaching here that we, that we could easily miss. And that is that the image that is painted for us there is, is of, a, of an athlete preparing to participate in a race. Uh, and she is surrounded, according to the scriptures, by, uh, by, by a great cloud of witnesses. The grandstands, if you will, are filled with those who have run the race before her. They're there to encourage and support her as she begins the race. But I want you to notice that in the way that the image works, in, in, in what is shared there in the first three verses, the focus isn't on the cloud of witnesses. 
And even if we were to imagine what their encouragement would be, it isn't, hey, look at us. We've done this before. We know what you need to do. Because the race that she is preparing to run is different from the race than they had run. Instead, what's the focus? What's the direction? What's, what is encouraged there in those first three verses? Not to look at the crowd, but to fix your eyes Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of faith. It's as if the great cloud of witnesses are, are, are shouting and encouraging, saying, don't, don't, don't look at us, look at him. He's the one. He's the one who led us while we were running. He's the one who was faithful to us in the middle of our trials and our tribulations, he's the one who will take you through all the high moments and all the valleys that are to come. He's the one who you can trust. For he is the one who is faithful. The inspiration of those who have come before us, the the remembrance of their life, the inspiration should never be the scope of the skill that they had or the capacity of their resourcefulness, but it should be instead the faith. The faith they had in the one, the one they believed was faithful. And so today as we gather together and we think about the question, what's next? As we think about the community that we serve, we think about where we are today and where we believe God would call us for the future. Our answer cannot be, well, this is what I think I can do, or this is what I think we can do, or this is about as much as I think we can handle. It must be shaped by faith, faith in the one who is faithful, faith faith in the one who can do what we ourselves can never do. We can water. And we can plant, but only God, only God can make things grow. There are an abundance of reasons why the Methodist Church in Mansfield should have died on September 25th, 1942. That should have been the end of the story. My husband's the pastor. He's not anymore. Why didn't it die? Because God had a dream. God had a dream and the men and women of this church chose to ignore the impossible and put their faith in the one through whom all things are possible. The men and women of this church chose to trust that God had a dream that he wanted to see come to fruition. And so among the ashes They broke ground on a brand new future. And because they did, 75 years later, we have the chance today to ask the question, what's next? 75 years later, we have the chance to look forward to the future and imagine what what will those who come after us say of us and what we did, the faith that we had, 
the risks that we took, the trust that we lived into, the faith we had in the one who was faithful. And as we ask the question, my prayer, a prayer I invite you to join in praying with me is that the response that we would share, our answer to the question would be one that is worthy of so great a legacy that we have. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we, we don't even know all the people whose lives have blessed our own. We don't know their names or their stories. We don't know about every high moment, every, every valley they walk through. We don't know about the celebrations. We don't know about the doubts. We can't imagine what it would be like to lose everything. We don't know what happened that night, Lord, as they gathered for prayer. We don't, know, we don't know who was the first person to say, let's go outside and break, break new ground. But Lord, we do know about their faith. For we know that who we are today is a reflection of it. And everything that you have done, everything that you have done in the life of this church has been fueled by those prayers and those acts of faith. And so, Lord, we gather together as brothers and sisters and continue to pray that we would do in our time what your faithful, faithful followers have done in their time. Bless us, direct us, encourage us, and inspire us as we seek to dream and catch a vision of the future that you would have for each and every one of us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.